So Lord, um, right now we're about to claim the promises of your goodness and we are about to come to this uh, banquet table of your word, um, this buffet of your grace and your kindness to us that's being served up by your Holy Spirit. And I pray that we would start our time right now by knowing what we're hungry for. So take us into our heart right now, Lord, and let's be present with ourselves. And Lord, allow us the grace to evenly, even silently tell you what we're hungry for this morning what our soul is craving for from your grace, that we may turn our eyes toward you. And we pray, Father, that, um, that through that lens of our own need now, we would uh, lift our eyes to the mirror of the gospel and see ourselves, the beauty of who you've made us to be, but also see the challenge that you give us to live out of that beauty um, and to be your people, to wake us from our slumber um, and to know that, Lord, uh, you are good. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. May you be seated. And um, so this morning is going to be a little fun because um, we're uh, going to bring a little normalcy. If you typically don't go to Granny White. Um, you just don't know how weird I am, and I'm sorry about that. You're not going to get my jokes, but just give me courtesy laughs. That would be really helpful for me up here. Um, but we're going to do something fun because I want to show you a clip from a movie. But before I show you the clip, I want to set it up because uh, this is from that classic Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Now, you may be confused about, you know, which Indiana Jones this is because they all kind of bleed together. So let me, let, let me just fill you in a little bit. This is the one where uh, his dad, who's played by Sean Connery, and him hook up for their grand adventure. You know what I'm talking about? They're both these adventurer archaeologists that uh, go on these wild uh, adventures of finding treasures and... Uh, doing all kinds of great and supernatural stuff. And this is the movie where they're in the search for the Holy Grail, and they're competing against the Nazis who are also trying to find the Holy Grail because of its supposed power to restore life. And um, so the scene you're about to see is they actually find the Holy Grail along with the Nazis. And Elsa, uh, the beautiful Nazi in the group, is trying to take the grail out of the cave in which they found it, which is a big no-no, because once it goes past the seal, you know, you know all heaven breaks loose, so to speak, all right? Uh, so um, that's what you're about to see. Enjoy.
so, uh... That's the whole sermon right there. <clears throat> it sums it up perfectly that uh, in a nutshell, you have a holy grail in your life. You may have many holy grails in your life, and um, you have been bewitched by them. You've been cast under their spell, and the only thing that's going to break that spell is a loving father who whispers your name and says, let it go. See, that was the first time in that movie that he actually called his son Indiana. Uh, he called him Junior. They had such uh, contempt for one another. And it was the love of the father that actually allowed him to, f to finally let go of his search for the Holy Grail. In fact, it was this moment of wake up. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. What is it going to take for us as the church to kind of wake up? So let's go back to Exodus chapter 20. All the way back in the Bible to Exodus chapter 20. And this is the chapter in Scripture that contains the Ten Commandments. And this is God saying to his people, here are the things I want you to know about living as my people. So this is starting in verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for their sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations to those who love me and have kept my commandments." So the first of all of God's commandments, the very first thing that he wants the Israelites to know and the very first thing that he wants us to know as his people, that if we're going to be his people, then we're going to have to awaken ourselves spiritually and be spiritually alive. In other words, to not put any idols in front of the Lord, that we're to serve him and to love him above all else. No idols, which is kind of odd because there's probably not a person in this room that or that's watching that has some carved image somewhere in their house that they burn incense in front of and lay bowls of fruit in front of and pray to, that this whole idea of having idols seems like kind of a far-fetched thing. But I want to kind of change the way that you think about what an idol is and how the New Testament talks about what idols are. And I want to do that by quoting... Um, Dr. Keller, this is a guy who was a pastor in New York for years, and he's written a number of books, and one he's written on idols called Counterfeit God. And he says, idols are anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart or your imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give, that's an idol. He goes on to say, a counterfeit God or an idol is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. An idol has such a controlling position in your heart that you can spend most of your passion and energy and your emotional and financial resources on it without a second thought. So when you put idols in that category, it completely changes our understanding of whether or not you have idols. In fact, every one of us has idols. 
all of us have these holy grails that we're convinced that if we have them or if we can keep them or if they're in our lives, then they're going to give us what we most deeply want out of life. And it's not just like bad things that become our idols. I mean, some of you may be thinking like, like an alcoholic, their idol is alcohol and you know, alcohol can destroy your life. Well, yeah, but idols can also be really good things in our lives. They could be our family. They, that can be the thing in our lives that are more important than God, the thing that absorbs our heart or the thing that absorbs our imagination more than God and the thing that we seek from to give us what only God promises to give us or our children or our career. For some of you, it's money. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Some of you, it's achievement. Some of you, it's critical acclaim or saving face, like never being in a situation where you look bad or you never get embarrassed. Some of you, it's your social standing or even relationships. And you know what's crazy about making relationships idols? We can make relationships we have an idol. We can make relationships we don't have an idol. And our fantasy life becomes this huge imagination of when I get that person in my life, then I'm going to have all the things that only God promises to give me. It could be approval by other people. Some of you are people pleasers, and your life dies when you feel like that you don't have other people's approval. Or it could be your competence, you being competent as your idol or skills or or here's a killer that COVID has really laid an ax at this tree is maybe your idol is comfort or ease or security. For some of us, it's beauty, how you look. And you're constantly comparing yourself to other people and you hate yourself because your idol is looking beautiful. And when you hate yourself, you're looking in the mirror and saying, I deserve to look better than what I look right now. Or it could be, you know, brains that you're smart or it could be during this politics season. You actually believe there's going to be a politician that's going to come and save you. Or social causes, or even your health. And what we're talking about today is that your father is whispering your name. And he's saying, let it go. Let it go. Because these idols that you're keeping in your life, they're robbing you of the power. They're robbing you of the joy. And they're robbing you of the purpose of who you are. An idle relationship is a give-and-take relationship. You give everything, they take everything. They never give back. So for us to understand this, we're going to jump now to the New Testament. And I want to take you to Matthew chapter 19. And if you're taking notes, then we're going to be uh, starting in verse 16. We're going to stop around verse 26. And I encourage you to take notes because... Um, I want to continue to remind you in Midtown that, uh, that truth is not uh, discovered. Truth is revealed. In other words, we believe in the work of the Holy Spirit here. And when the truth is taught, we believe that now that it goes forth, the Holy Spirit takes it now and applies it to your heart. So when you take notes, you're not just writing down what I say or what the other pastors say. You're actually listening to the Holy Spirit that's saying things specifically to you so that during the week you can actually, in a relationship with the Holy Spirit, begin to work on those things in your own life. Does that make sense? So feel free to get out your phone if that helps and take notes. If not, just play Candy Crush. This is chapter 19, verse 16. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, this, this story may sound familiar to you because maybe you've read it before. 
This guy comes up to Jesus and he asks him, hey, teacher, what good thing must I do to, to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he, required, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbors yourself. All these I've kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. And then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Lord, give us wisdom we need right now. Lord, we pray that, uh, Lord, you would uh, part the Red Sea of our cynicism and maybe our hearts that's having a hard time engaging with you right now. Um, and pray, Father, that you would perform the miracle of whispering our name, that we would let go of those things that are robbing us of uh, us being who we are and knowing you for who you are. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So this guy gets a really bad rep. I mean, uh, I don't think I've ever heard a sermon once where this passage was preached and this guy was talked about that he wasn't put in some kind of negative light. And I just want to just stop that for a minute because I think this guy's a pretty good dude. I mean, let's just go through the list of the stuff that we know about him. I mean, first of all, he's seeking out Jesus. Like, we're in church. That's good, right? Like, he's a winner there. He's thinking, hey, Jesus, I'm going to go find him. And he goes and finds him. And he's asking some really good questions. I mean, that's phenomenal. This guy's coming to Jesus and going, hey, Jesus, I want to get into heaven. How do I get into heaven? That's a good thing. And then when Jesus kind of examines him, turns out this guy's not a murderer. I don't know what scale you judge somebody on, but that's a pretty good scale to start with, okay? You don't kill people. That's a good idea. And he doesn't cheat on his wife. He seems like he's not committed adultery. And he doesn't steal. We can trust this guy. He's not a liar. He's not lying. He seems to care about his parents because he honors his parents. And he even says that he cares for his city and his neighbor. I mean, when I go through that list, I think, okay, that, that's pretty good. This guy is like, man, he's just, he's hitting home runs. And then then when it gets down to, he's honest with Jesus enough to go, I've done all that, but there's still something in my heart that says there's more. Oh, like, where is he on the Enneagram? Like, it just seems like he's really in touch with his heart. There's more. And I, I'm just going to say it. This guy would fit so well here at Midtown. I mean, think about it. He's a good dude. Y'all are good people. I mean, he asked great questions. You guys ask great questions. You're here because you want to know Jesus. And, and you actually, uh, many of you, when I spend time with you, you're not afraid to kind of reveal your heart and your aches and your pains. And you don't put on this religious air that kind of covers over all your doubts and your struggles. I think he would fit well here. 
And then Jesus drops the bomb. And what's the bomb? Go sell everything. Don't just sell it. Collect the wealth and then give it away to the poor. And then leave your life and come and follow me. If we had time this morning, we could talk about how every one of those, all three of those, are just Herculean efforts that uh, are unbelievable requests. But before we talk about this for a second, I've got to stop and just say that uh, there have been religions and there have been teachers who have said that this is the way to follow Jesus, that you must sell everything, that you must be poor, that that's the only way to elevate yourself to, a, to this doctoral level faith, that if you did that, then you'd really be serious about Jesus. And I want to say that nowhere else does Jesus do this, that this is not a universal call to all believers. This isn't some graduated level that, you know, you're, you're now more serious. This is Jesus dealing with one man. And Jesus is dealing with this one man and the one issue that this man has in his life that is keeping him from following Jesus. And it's simple. This one thing, this holy grail, this thing called greed, this one holy grail has blinded him, has confused him, and is sabotaging his life. And Jesus is exposing it to the light to give this guy an opportunity to let it go. See, um, holy grails or your idols, um, they mess everything up because they change the value of everything. Like in this story, we see that this guy has really... He doesn't understand the value issue between good and holy. They're not the same thing. And he also doesn't understand that, that suffering isn't the opposite of joy. That the value of those things got mixed up. And that's what happens in our lives when we give ourselves to our idols. Our value systems get changed. So one of my favorite um, artists is Banksy. Maybe you know this artist. He's a street artist who uh, nobody knows who he is. His identity is hidden. I know some of you are going, I know who he is. Okay, great. But uh, he doesn't know who he is. Nobody knows who he is. And uh, like, if you don't know his art, like he does art on like sides of buildings. And, um, and his art has become so collectible that when he does something on the side of a building, like people will come in and with construction workers cut out that corner of the building to, to preserve his art because it's worth millions. And I think it was last year, it may have been the year before, uh, he actually allowed one of his works of art, uh, Girl with Balloon, to actually be framed and be sold at an auction house. Are you familiar with this story? And uh, so there, it, I think it auctioned off for a little over a million dollars. That's how collectible his art is. And as soon as the gavel went down by the auctioneer, the frame, and nobody knew this but Banksy, the frame was actually a paper shredder. It was built into the frame, and as soon as the gavel hit, the painting started to go through the shredder. Ah, oh, he's so edgy, isn't he? Like, you know, that, and what he's really, he's questioning art, he's questioning everything, and the painting gets stuck, and only half of it gets shredded. And uh, the person who bought it, the auctioneer, and the auction house went to him and said, look, you know, we can't expect you to pay for this because half the paintings have gotten shredded. And he goes, no, 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 I want it. I want it just like that. Don't touch it. And literally, the value of that painting went through the roof because half of it was shredded. That's Banksy. That's how much his stuff is worth. Well, 
A number of years ago, uh, he had an experiment where he took this old guy, and this old guy set up a, um, one of those uh, art booths that you can see in Central Park in New York. If you've ever been through Central Park, they have vendors around the park on the sidewalks. And this guy had set up his little vending you know, stand, and on, that, on the fence of this, uh, the stand that he had built, he had like 40 Banksy originals. And this old guy just sat down and he was selling them for 60 bucks a piece. They were worth thousands of these. Nobody was buying anything. They were just walking by. And later in the afternoon, the only person that bought anything was this mom who was in town visiting her daughter and she was going to help her move into an apartment. She felt like she needed something to hang on the apartment. And she goes, this is as good as anything. And she actually talked the old guy who was running the booth into selling them to her for 50% off. She bought two for 30 bucks a piece. See, everybody that was walking by had no idea the real value of those paintings. Everybody walking by were confused about what real value was. In fact, if everybody walking by would have understood how many thousands of dollars each one of those, can you imagine, you or I, we would have stopped and said, we'll take them all. We'll just take them all. And we'd have been set. That's what idols do. Idols confuse us about what value is. This was, I think, three years ago. Joshua Bell, if you're into classical music, you know him. He may be the most celebrated violin player of our generation. Uh, his skills and gifts are beyond compare. When he puts on a show or he performs with an orchestra, you can't get tickets. I mean, he is the rock star of the classical world. And the violin that he plays, I don't know if you know this, but it is a classic. I don't know anything about violins or what makes them valuable. This one's probably 500 years old. I don't know. Kissed by Jesus? I don't know. Uh, but his violin is valued at three and a half to four million dollars. So him and his friends a number of years ago decided that we we're going to do an experiment to see if people value, really value beauty. And do they value beauty in the midst of the craziness of their lives? So Joshua Bell took his three and a half, four million dollar violin and went down into the subway system of D.C. And for an hour, as people were flying by during rush hour, he started to play. You can go online and watch the whole video. Seven people stopped. See, in this guy's life, he's confused the value of good versus holy. See, in verse 17, it says, as Jesus, this is actually the story in Mark 10, because this story is in all four of the Gospels. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him, and he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit life? Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. See, it's not that the man thought that Jesus was good. I mean, he did think that Jesus was good. It's that he thought he was good too. That he misunderstood, you know, he said that he'd kept all the, good, all the commandments. And he was good. And we kind of do the same thing. When I was in youth ministry years ago, one of the things that we did is we trained youth teenagers how to share their gospel, the gospel, their faith with people. And we would give them some introductory questions to try to help them understand where somebody is and what they think about uh, God. And one of those questions 
was if you were to stand before God and he was to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? And um, I cannot even tell you how many people, an overwhelming number of people said, well, I'm pretty good. I'm a pretty good person. And I, I can't imagine that God would look at me and go, you know, you're a pretty good dude. Come on in. But when we pause and we think about this, Jesus was blowing up this idea of good. He was blowing up this idea all throughout his teachings. For example, let's pause and let's just challenge your goodness for a minute. Have you ever told a lie? Have any of you ever told a lie? Well, nobody wants to answer right now because you're lying right now. <laughs> well, you know, what do you call somebody who tells a lie? You call them a liar. Have you ever committed adultery? Some of you literally have. Some of you have said, no, I never have. But Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said that if you have lusted in your heart after somebody who is not your spouse, you've committed adultery. Have you ever murdered? You say, well, no. But on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, if you've ever hated somebody or if you've ever cursed somebody or you've ever shouted at somebody in traffic who cut you off, Jesus said in your heart you have murdered them. You have committed murder. Have you ever stole? Have you ever taken something that's not yours? Have you ever taken credit for something that you didn't do? Well, if we did those things, then we are liars, we are adulterers, we are murderers, we are thieves. Welcome to the fellowship of the broken. This isn't the fellowship of the good. This is the fellowship of the broken. Scripture says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's all of us. And we don't need our goodness because our goodness is tainted. It's not, it's not that good. And this guy's goodness was not that good, and Jesus knew that. What he needed and what we need is not just Jesus. We need forgiveness. We actually need holiness. We need someone that can wash away the stains of our goodness and give us something more and replace it with beauty. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it gives us a picture of what Jesus came to do. In verse 30, it says, It's because of him that you're in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness. Get that? That is our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let no one who boasts boast in the Lord. In other words, that we are righteous because we wear his righteousness. We are holy because we wear his holiness. We have redemption because he has redeemed us. So when we boast, we don't boast in our goodness. We boast in him. And because I wear his holiness, and Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, his holiness is never going to change, which means my holiness is never going to change. Never. Goodness isn't strong enough to do that. And this guy was content because of his idol of greed. He was content with goodness. And Jesus was saying, it's not enough. It's blinded you in the value system that what's really valuable is holiness. And holiness is what I give you. And then we see here that he confused suffering and thought it was the opposite of joy. Once again, in Mark 10, it says, Jesus looked him and loved him. And he said, one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come and follow me. And you can almost, you know, he had great wealth and he's walking away, away sad and you can almost imagine what's going through his head 
that never in my life have I ever believed that that kind of sacrifice leads to joy. That kind of sacrifice leads to sorrow. You don't go down to go up. This guy is crazy. You don't die to truly live. You don't give away everything to gain. You see how this idol has confused this guy and what the value system is, that Jesus is bringing a new value system. So let's talk about greed just for a minute because um, greed's really a funny idol because if I went through the room here and the home groups and I said, are you greedy? Most of you would say, I don't think so. I, greed is just hard to identify, you know? It's just this vague kind of sense like, like if you're a murderer, that's pretty clear. I mean, you're not confused if you're killing somebody. I mean, that's, what are you doing? I think I'm killing somebody, you know? But greed, on the other hand, is one of those sins that uh, is really hard to identify. But let's try to get our hands around this, this slimy, slippery soap of greed. Because at the heart of greed is really this love for money, which is power. And money is one of the most dangerous of all idols because unlike all the other idols, it tends to say that it can make all the promises that God can make to you. In other words, God says that through Christ, he will give you everything you need for life and godliness. Everything you need for life. Everything you need for life. Does that sound familiar? Money makes the same promise. I will give you everything you need for life. In fact, we kind of dance with greed because I've heard people say, you know, I know money can't make you happy, but if I'm going to be miserable, I'd rather be miserable and rich than miserable and poor. We kind of dance around it. And Jesus is getting at the root of this young man's hope. He's getting at the root of this young man's joy. He's getting at the root of this young man's purpose and his drive. He's coming to face to face with this insidious idol that's grabbed his heart. And he grieves because he couldn't give up what he truly loved. In fact, he wasn't good enough. So what I'm driving us to is, um, what is your holy grail? What are the things that you're reaching for that you actually believe are going to give you what only God promises that he's going to give you? And how do we break this, the spell? In Mark 10, it says that Jesus loved this guy, and he loves us too. And he's fighting for him to have treasures in heaven, and he's fighting us for us to have real treasure. So what is treasure that Jesus wants us to have? Well, the first treasure that Jesus wants you to have in heaven is him. He wants you to awaken and have the spell broken to where we understand that Jesus is above all things and the thing that I treasure more than anything in this world. That he is my purpose, he is my reason, he is my highest value in everything in my life. It's so hard to do, though. How do we actually do that? How do we get to the place where we realize that Jesus is my treasure in heaven? The only way we do that is the whisper of our Father who says our name. And why is he saying our name? Because we are his treasure. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says, Let us lay aside every weight, and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. 
Treasure Jesus, treasure Jesus. Set your eyes on him, see him, run after him. But how do we do that? Look at the next sentence. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him, he sold everything he had and came after you. What the rich young ruler couldn't do, Jesus did. What you can't do, he did. He laid it all down. Why? So he could whisper your name and just say, hey, let it go. Let it go. So I just want to encourage us today as we begin to have the courage to look at the things that we've allowed to become idols in our lives, that we realize that this one service, that this one moment is not going to allow you to let it go for the rest of your life. But for me to create a pattern in my own life to where when that idol comes screaming and demanding my loyalty, I actually can continue to turn to my father and put it back into its right place. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being the one who holds our hand, being the one who calls our name, being the one that urges us to turn our heart away from the false idols that would steal our purpose and our power and the very joy of our lives. I pray you help us now as we put them down, just confess them. And we hear you whisper our name. And know that you have treasured us, that we have become the treasure that you sold everything for. So like the rich young ruler, or unlike the rich young ruler, we would follow you and go where you go. In Christ's name.